Welcome to Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 54. We're talking the man in the high tower. I'm Molly Matu. That would be the man in the high castle, my friend. Oh, I, I read man in... I was looking at the man in the high castle and I read man in the high tower. Oh, man. Uh, well, that voice that you're hearing is my companion in podcasting and constant corrector of Ollie Malfunctions, H.A. Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? I like to think of it, I mean, it's going well. I like to think of it more as gentle reminders. <laughs> gentle reminders is good. Um, I, I, as many of the people in my life can attest to, I constantly need some nudging in the right direction because I make a lot, of, uh, a lot of those mistakes. Conrad, we are back. We, we had a little bit of a hiatus due to work and stuff and things getting in the way of the podcasting, but I'm excited to be back here with you talking about pretty cool sci-fi show. Um, we've got a crossover, The Man in the High Castle versus Agent Carter, and what's on our top five today, Conrad? A top five. We are talking top five made-for-streaming programming. So these days, not everything is on television or on cable, uh, we've got a lot of programming that is made specifically for streaming services such as Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, and um, this particular pilot, uh, The Man in the High Castle, was made for Amazon. And what Amazon's been doing for the last couple of years is that they'll put out a bunch of pilots and um, basically have the audience decide what they're going to make a series of. So, so I think this is a good place to start this discussion. Um, I had no idea that Amazon does this. Uh, you sort of brought up this idea. I think uh, the man in the high castle was something on your radar. And it was not uh, – I'm not familiar with the source material, the Philip K. Dick story. And I was not familiar that Amazon does this amazing, brilliant crowdsourcing of its pilots. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how um, – have you seen um, Transparent yet? Yeah, I have, and that's how that came to be, mm-hmm. which this is – you know, the, the, the changes that streaming allows um, are really interesting where what happened – Netflix was sort of the, the first one out of the gate making original programming, and they decided to bring back Arrested Development for another season. And mm-hmm. the reason they did that is they looked at their data, they looked at their analytics and said, everyone is watching this show. Um, why don't we create – uh, another season of it, and we can profit off of that. And th- this way of using real data to guide the creation of new programming, which ideally is what Nielsen ratings are for, but the problem with Nielsen ratings is it's it's sort of a sampling-based system where only certain people are Nielsen families, and you know they have to kind of buy into the system, and they have to like log what they're watching and all that kind of stuff. What's cool about Netflix and Amazon and this pilot season that Amazon is doing, it's all based on what people are actually watching and the whole user base. No, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I think has actually changed a lot about what um, the way people consume shows and the fact that these streaming networks have been sitting up and listening. And as you said, they, they basically have instant analytics to, to see what people are watching and how much, what's popular, what's not. And House of Cards is a very good example of the success of some of these um, streaming-only 
uh, programming you chose pretty much taking over and having a ton of anticipation. Um, and then the other piece of it is how people watch this because yeah. they, they generally, generally have been putting out the series all at once so that people are just binge watching everything. So it's not um, a serial in terms of watching things week by week. Um, it's and that's what Netflix has shared some of their data and have uh, indicated that most of the people who do watch programming on on Netflix do binge watch, mm -hmm. and it's 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 a very interesting change that has a lot of ramifications. There's been some interesting psychological research that's going on here and some of the stuff that points to, uh, well, binge watching is good for you and some people are saying it's bad for you and then it all kind of depends on how you define binge watching. Is it one, two, three, four, five hours? So there's a change in viewership, but there's also the really interesting change in the type of content now that is produced when it's all released at once. This can be highly serialized, really complicated threads that um, tie over, you know, 10, 15 episodes. And if we go back to the 1990s, uh, network TV that was starting to do this, and I'm thinking of uh, Babylon 5, I'm thinking of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Sort of ahead of its time. Even I'm thinking Lost was one of the first major network shows that was highly serialized. Um, and it, it was hard for some people to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, you just dump this whole season and there's going to be some people that watch it immediately. But then people who discover it months later and then tend to binge watch it then, it's completely turning upside down. Um, how content is is produced, mm -hmm. how it's released, and how we consume it. Yep. Um, so I actually think that by Amazon doing this, it's a genius idea because it gets people involved from the get-go. And then they also have sort of this initial um, bump and an idea of which series are going to be successful or not. Oftentimes, at least on network television, you would see, you know, the sort of pilot season and certain things would kind of limp along for a while and just totally fizzle out. Yeah. And other things that I don't think they always anticipated taking off would be absolutely successful. Um, and this is actually a way for them to pre-test it, so to speak. Before and, before they're putting all the money into the production of a whole series. So, and you're building in that audience, and it is a brilliant move because the act of rating it, of reviewing it, of voting it up, it creates buy-in with the audience. And we know that um, from social psychology, this is there's a whole thing called foot in the door. If you get people to make a small commitment to you, they're more likely to make bigger commitments. It's kind of the whole idea behind, will you wear this campaign button supporting <laughs> this candidate? And then later on, you're submitting all the, you're donating all this money and you got this big yard sign up and all that. It's kind of a similar process at play here for Amazon. And it's, you're right, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm, I am so much more bought into this show, even though I've only seen it as a pilot. And I went through the, you know, you watch the show, and then you have the option of filling out the survey and mm -hmm. and giving them feedback. And I, you know, spoiler alert, I liked this show uh, and I filled out the survey and I said, give me more of this. Uh, this is this is so cool. This is such a cool way of doing this stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and all these other content um, producers, they want to be the next generation of HBO. They want to be the place you go to to get 
really high end mm-hmm. original content. And our top five is probably going to be full of these shows that have now been nominated for Emmys, that have been recognized by the alar- larger community for creating substantive programming that's moving the art form forward. And boy, Conrad, this is an exciting time to be to be a, a, a fan of good drama. No, absolutely. So now that you just gave that little teaser, I am very excited to talk about this pilot with you. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Right. Um, so uh, how are we doing this? Are we going to have spoilers? Well, are we going to? Uh, yeah, I think we have to have spoilers. But what I would say is, if if you haven't seen it, do go watch it and then come back to this because there's there's enough spoilers within this that I feel like it would it would not it would affect your enjoyment of the show. I think we can um, give like a very quick non-spoiler idea yeah. of what the show is. It's it's basically uh, basically an alternate history right. in which the Nazis and the Japanese, the Axis, one um, one World War Two, one World War Two, exactly, and 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 the the majority of this, it, well, you do see a little bit of footage from Europe, but the majority of this is what America is looking like at this time. Yep. So you're seeing little slices of American life in New York City in San Francisco, et cetera, and uh, just sort of the idea of what, what would have played out had the, had the uh, result of World War II been very, very different. So um, if, if so, you yeah. like alternate histories, if you like Nazis as a villain, I guess, <laughs> and if you like um, Philip K. Dick, and this is based on a Philip K. Dick story, uh, there are some interesting departures, which we'll talk about, but if you like that kind of stuff, um, you got to check out this this pilot. You can go to Amazon and watch it for free. Um, it's only about an hour long, and there's some familiar faces that some people might recognize from other genre stuff. I recognized uh, Rick Worthy, who uh, is from Battlestar Galactica, um, and also DJ Quails. Um, yeah, I know. He's, <laughs> he somehow pops up everywhere, that guy. He's, yeah, he's in a little bit of everything. I think um, you guys on Reanimated probably talked about it. I think he's in Z Nation. Uh, we talked uh, about uh, Stuart is not a big fan of Mr. Mr. Quail. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's had some, some stuff, some better than others. Um, so uh, there's some familiar faces. Uh, I think the, the main lead, uh, one of the main leads, uh, Alexis uh, Devolos, uh, she's been in a few sci-fi or sci-fi stuff, I think, um, and some other genre stuff as well. So uh, a lot of uh, some familiar faces, some not so familiar, and uh, interesting interesting show to check out. So if you're a fan of sci-fi, Philip K. Dick, if you hate Nazis, um, you should probably watch The Man in the High Castle. Yes. Uh, you, you also forgot uh, the, the very great appearance of uh, Rufus Sewell, who is the sort of the, bad, the biggest bad guy. Oh yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. pretty he's pretty bad in this. <laughs> so and plays somebody oddly enough named John Smith. Um, <laughs> so he, he is the uh, he's the SS agent um, investigating the resistance movement within this series. Some might remember him from Dark City. Uh, yes, Dark City, uh, Knight's Tale, many many things. So and the Illusionist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting group of people, and um, also should mention that there's some pretty, pretty um, 
familiar people with uh, with the genre this genre Frank Spotnik from the X-Files uh wrote this pilot it's directed by David Samel um who did a lot of work on Heroes and the producer Ridley Scott. Scott. I know, I know. So very exciting. Um, Well, Ridley Scott also was involved um, because uh, BBC did a version of this in 2010. Um, So he was going to be doing, you know, there's been a lot of involvement with this series and other things. So it's interesting that uh, this all started to come about with Amazon. Um, So in any case... I love anything that Ridley Scott is involved in. And, and, and as most people, I would imagine, remember, uh, Blade Runner was was based on the other, the other, the, the um, another uh, Philip K. Dick Do androids dream of yep. electronic sheep? Yep. Absolutely. So, um, electric sheep. What did I say? <laughs> electronic. Uh, see, this is Conrad. This is why I need you. Uh, uh, I can't. I cannot function independently. It's always, okay. <laughs> I feel like sometimes you're building your own alternate universe, which is awesome. Oh, I want to see. What's I want to see the Ali universe. What it? What it is? <laughs> oh no! Um, There's I a do. lot of Boba and Star Trek. Yeah, clearly. And, uh, um, but anyway, now can we can we now get into the spoilers though? Yeah. Just, well, I mean, can you? I give it a thumbs up. Um, and I, I encourage people to watch it. Uh, would you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that they did a great job with production. I think they did a great job with teasing what's to come. It's definitely a dystopian future, so I think, um, or universe. Um, so it's not, um, it's heavy. It, it, there, it is not a light show, but if you're into that kind of a drama, I think you could be really into this. The production value the fact that they are even doing production like this, it looks beautiful. It um, looks great. And, Connor, we haven't really seen a lot of sci-fi on these streaming networks. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the first ones we're really seeing out of the gate here. And um, I completely agree with you. The production value was great. There's a couple of scenes where it looks very CG. But overall, yeah. you do feel like you're in this alternate history. Right. And I think that they did a great job just of – um, you know, especially with an initial episode, they knew it was a pilot, just doing a lot of great character building and story building and universe building um, to lay the groundwork enough so, because it's a pretty complex concept, um, just imagining what the United States would be like. Um, there is a little bit, you know, I did notice a little bit of them trying to sort of push the action along to get the people to sort of hook you in. Um, so a little bit of it felt forced, um, but I think overall two thumbs up for me on this, and, yeah, and, and I really re- can't wait to see more. R- related to that, I think this show does a lot. This pilot does a lot of showing and not telling when it's world building, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to our crossover. One of the problems I have with a lot of science fiction is there's these big, massive exposition dumps, and we don't really get that here. We get a lot of hints, and over time mm-hmm. of, of watching the whole episode, you get a, an understanding of how this universe came to be, and stuff just sort of happens, and it's matter-of-fact, and that reminded me of Firefly in some ways, how they... Yeah. The universe of Firefly unfolds bit by bit, and um, it, it's it's well done. Um, yeah, and it's treating the audience like they're smart, which I think you and yes. I have talked quite extensively about the fact that 
I think one of the the pitfalls that um, some shows run into, and you know, it, like, like I think that they're trying to to fit so much in, and they try to over explain, and they did not do that here. They left enough mystery and enough intrigue, um, and enough that you're just filling in the blanks by just doing sort of small sketches and, and little details. And I think you will eventually, and eventually f- figure it out. But I do think that they didn't lose that um, that intrigue and that you know what you noticed a lot of the times with Lost. I noticed that you just want to see what the next episode is, and I absolutely felt that watching this. So with that, uh, let's transition into our spoilery discussion. We will spoil this episode. That being said, it is a pilot. So right. <laughs> we're not, it's not like we're spoiling like a whole season. We're only spoiling a pilot. So uh, with that, be warned, dear nerdlings, we are venturing into spoiler zone. Um, so Conrad, uh, there's a lot of different stuff we can talk about here with spoilers. Um, you know, the main the, the main gist here is, um, you know, we're in we're living in this alternate history. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, uh, the, there is an assat, is it, is it now I'm, compl- um, I'm confusing the book and the, and the TV show here. Do they talk about the assassination attempt against the, the U S president and how that leads to, or is that the, the book? I, I think that's it. more the book. Um, primarily what you're following here are three different storylines. One is the storyline of a character called Juliana. Um, and she's living in San Francisco. Um, one in the Japanese Pacific states, right? Um, and then there's also um, the other. Uh, there, there. You're kind of seeing. Um, I don't want to sort of sort of the storyline with some of the Japanese characters mm-hmm. that are interacting with some of the German characters, and they're giving you a sense of what the what the politics are between the Germans and the Japanese at this time. So that's giving you a little bit of what's going on in the greater world to some extent. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, we also have Joe Blake, who is, um, he's a younger character and he's in New York right now. And it's like at the beginning of this, this show and, he is supposedly seeking out the resistance fighters um, because his father was a patriot. And so he's basically trying to find a way in. And he's um, been told these stories of freedom, of what it used to be like before the right. uh, the fall of the United States. Right. And the East Coast is Nazi-controlled. Yep. Nazi well, kind of, kind of the East Coast through to the Midwest and then... Um, the Japanese control what are what is called the Japanese Pacific states, and that kind of runs from California, sort of through. There's like they get part of Nevada and part of these other states. They definitely don't have as large of a territory. They definitely have Oregon though, <laughs> and then um, sort of like in the middle is this like neutral zone. Yeah, this neutral zone, um, which is you know they're calling the Rocky Mountain states. So it's an interesting way of thinking about what the world would look like. Um, And I really think that they did such a fantastic job at setting the scene of like on the West Coast and on the East Coast, just giving this flavor of what might have happened. You know, one Um, of my favorite um, 
Well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah, go uh, for it. Well, one of my favorite ways and uh, favorite examples of how this show worked for me is uh, when our lead character here, Joe Blake, is uh, driving across town. Or not across town, across country. He's trying to get to the neutral zone here. And that's what kind of kicks things into gear. Uh, Mm -hmm. Joe Blake is heading towards a neutral zone as well as Juliana Crane. She's kind of finds, due to a series of events, finding this film. um, Well, we're giving spoilers, so it's okay. Her half-sister is killed, turns out to be part of the resistance, and is carrying a contraband video. The grasshopper yeah. lies heavy. Right. Um, and it turns out Joe Blake is also carrying a copy of this. And yeah. it's very clear that if you are caught with this kind of propaganda, um, that you will be killed. Um, and it's it's interesting propaganda because it's basically films of the history that we in the real world know of the U.S. and the Allies winning World War II. Yeah, so it's, um, it's that actual footage, right? So it's it's they they create this absolute um, dark reality. What it is like to live in this society where you're not allowed to view certain things, um, and in the in the world that Juliana Crane is living in, which is in San Francisco, um, she's living in a very um, Japanese influenced neighborhood. There's a lot of different um, apothecaries with, you know, different people selling Japanese food and herbs and things like that. Um, But there's also basically a um, military force that's present, very present in her world. And on the opposite end, on the East Coast, there is a Nazi presence just continually there, sort of like there's cameras everywhere. Everybody is walking around assuming that they're being observed. Like, so it's a pretty, you know, as I said, it's a dystopian future. Um, and, and the grasshopper lies heavy is an element that is in the original Philip K. Dick story. Yes. Um, in the original, it was a book, um, mm-hmm. but a book that also does a very similar thing. It chronicles the uh, the allies winning. Um, and, and that kind of reminded me of, uh, of Watchmen a bit and Tales of the Black Freighter, um, the sort of mm-hmm. comic within the comic. and. Yep. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so w- one of my favorite scenes here is these, so these characters are set in motion. They're heading towards a neutral zone. And um, Joe Blake is stopped by a police officer, um, you know, wearing a Nazi uniform. And you you find out that this is an individual who did fight in World War II. He lost in a sort of... Uh, now saying, you know, I don't even remember what we fought for anymore. And uh, sort of is very matter of fact about living in this Nazi regime and just sort of coming to terms with it. And Joe Blake asks, you know, what's what's up with all these ashes? Mm-hmm. And the police officer says, oh, that that's the hospital. And then you think, what? What a yep. hospital? And he, he says, says it's, and he says it so matter of factly and it's just so chilling. What's what, so he ne- what he next yeah. says, which is that they basically anybody that they view to be infirm or as a weight on society, they kill. And yeah. the, the ashes that you're seeing are their bodies being burned. Um, and it's just off. It's an awful realization, but it's so chilling in the delivery because it is just part of the everyday life of this world. 
Um, so did you, I got a chill up my spine when he said it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did too. And it's, that is when I think, uh, the man in the high castle is at its best when it is, when it's really talking about how would, what, what would be some of the horrors of living Mm -hmm. in a society under Nazi rule, combining that with some of the acceptance of what would happen. And that's a big a big theme of Philip K. Dick's original story. I haven't read it, but I read a lot about it this last week after watching The Man in the High Castle. And a lot of what that that story does well, it talks about how pe- Americans would sort of find their way of moving on and accepting this reality that they would be in um, despite the horrible things that would be happening around the world and, and in this new version of the United States. One of the big criticisms that has come up with The Man in the High Castle, this TV adaptation or streaming adaptation, whatever we're going to call it, is it does sort of fall into some of these traditional TV tropes of Nazis are all bad. Yep, Um, and resistant fighters are are all good. Are all good, and Americans would naturally stand up and would uh, would sort of fight back. And that part is not the original story too much. I think I I agree with you on that point, but I do think that they try to show a little bit of, at least a little bit of the idea that not every – American is good. And the example I'm going to use is the the woman that Juliana runs into on her travels to the the neutral zone. Mm. And she's on her way to the neutral zone and is chatted up by a seemingly innocuous, um, you know, like very, you know, friendly, chatty woman who's just kind of, you know, a, a little bit suspicious in her approach. However, she just seems generally friendly and harmless. And she ends up robbing Juliana. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think that uh, maybe we'll see more in the series and maybe they didn't get to show enough of that, but I do hear you. I, I feel like it was a little bit heavy handed and not showing a lot of depth of, of different characters. Um, yeah. and I mean, I, uh, you know, I've read that criticism and I am willing to, uh, to suspend some of my judgment here because it is a pilot right. because they're trying to get it picked up. Um, I, know, I also think we're going to, based on the, we, we discover at the very end of this uh, pilot that Joe Blake is actually a double agent. Which is a total Battlestar Galactica moment. Right. It is <laughs> absolutely, I was thinking the same thing actually. And so, <laughs> yeah. but it's a great is reveal. Great. You kind of think that maybe that's where it's going, but you're not sure because his behavior is always a little suspect. Um, and at first you're like, maybe he's just being cautious because he's a resistance fighter and he's trying to go in under the radar here, Um, but clearly he is a double agent. And so maybe they're going to reveal a lot more of that depth of the book in later, later episodes. So I think that hospital ash scene that, that gives me some hope here because I mean, that's, this is a very strange thing to say that that scene is what gives (laughs) me hope. No, you're right because that is a character that's, I mean, he's an officer, he's American and he has definitely, just sort of accepted this new reality. I, and I and even what, and even what, how he says it is like, yeah, that's what they're doing. Cause you know, they're extra weight on society. 
And that, I, I love that so much, Conrad, because that is speaking to some of the real questions and ideas that emerged out of World War II. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Stanley Milgram, a uh, psychologist, very famous for doing these um, these experiments about obedience to authority. His original idea, what he want, what he wanted to prove, was that Germans were inherently more obedient to authority. So mm-hmm. he designed this experiment where you think you you are shocking another person in another room and that you have to keep going because this experimenter is saying, you know, for the sake of research, you must continue pressing this button and shock this other person. So he did it. He did an experiment here in America and his plan was then to go to Germany and, and show that, look, Germans are inherently more of an obedient culture. He never made it out to Germany. Well, no, because he found that sadly and scarily that everybody is, is there, there's a lot more people that will go along as long as they feel like they are deferring to authority. Exactly. exactly. And actually they found his experiments to be slightly unethical. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's interesting just because they could, of the psychological damage that it could um, cause the people that are involved in the experiment. Um, what's, what's really interesting is um, they, a few years ago, about three, they four repeated years ago, it. they replicated it. Which but the I way, just, the way they replicated it was going at a much, much lower hypothetical voltage. Um, so people weren't thinking that they were necessarily, uh, you know, in, in the original experiment, the guy, you hear these recordings of this guy saying, please stop. I have a heart condition. No. And yeah. then it just kind of goes silent yeah. and you're like, what? Oh my God. All the old research back then. But I mean, that's those ideas and those questions of how people respond to authority and to these regimes, that's a fascinating one that keeps coming up in history. And this is where I think the man in the high castle is really shining as mm-hmm. science fiction, as being able to give us some social commentary. And that scene just totally epitomized that. And I, uh, that is kind of what sold me. Um, well, well and, you know, despite some of the critics, and I, I hear what they were saying just in terms of, you know, all the Americans are good. And but I don't necessarily agree with that because you also have the character of Juliana. Um, Juliana is, um, she is, she is involved. Uh, it seems like she has taken on some of the, the pieces of Japanese culture. Like she's, she is um, training in the martial arts. She is, you know, going out and, and she seems to be friendly with the Japanese that she runs into um, her family is clearly not as on board with this and are, are very, you know, they're against it, but they're, they're equally, they're not, they're not likable characters. Do you know what I mean? No, no. In the context and, and of the so, story, they're not. So they're not. So I, I kind of disagree a little bit with the critics because I think that they're showing little nuances, little, little aggressions within some of these characters. They're not all like, and, and almost everybody is telling Juliana not to get involved, uh, to stay away from her sister or her half-sister. Kind of lay low, don't rock the boat. Yeah, don't rock the boat. You don't want anything bad to happen to you. And she is told time and time again, not like by all these people, by her fiancé. And, you know, and you see that there's a real fear there because the the, um, police force, the Japanese police force, are breaking into people's homes all the time. Absolutely. Just being like, hey, we can search your home for anything we want. And like there is, there is a um, a palpable fear that you can feel and and see. And I think that they did a good job at setting that up. So I 
I'm going to reserve judgment till we see more. And I, and I hope that some of what, some of the sort of like the black and white portrayals um, to some extent were just because this was a pilot and they're going to, they're going to show us a little bit more. Yeah, you know, it's it's really fascinating to read about the original story, and it really makes me want to read it. Um, yeah, uh, you should read it, but there's also audio. Have you read it? Um, I have not actually, although I I think I read some. I think I started to hear the audiobooks of this. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is. I may I may have to go and grab that. Um, yeah, but, that's... but I lo- honestly, I love Philip K. Dick, so I'm a little bit surprised at myself that I haven't. <laughs> you know what's so cool about Philip K. Dick? I mean, so much of his stuff has been adapted into um, different forms of media, and so many of his adaptions have been awesome. I, you know, from Minority Report, Blade Runner, Total Recall, um, Adjustment Bureau, A Scanner Darkly, one that I like that not a lot of other people like. Oh, Scanner really Darkly liked. was great. Oh, so good. It's so funky and weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's so cool about Philip K. Dick, I think it is how he paints these worlds and how he does this world building in his stories. It reminds me a lot of um, of J.K. Rowling, actually. What, what really is so awesome about Harry Potter is all the little details that go into this world. And you can really imagine it in your mind. And I think the same is true here. One of the things I read about uh, with the original story is the Nazis reintroduced slavery into the southern U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, there's systematic gassing of American Jews. Um, you know, there's a lot of the um, – a lot – it's a lot more gruesome in some ways in that aspect with what the Nazis are doing. But then in the same aspect um, – this was coming from a review I read. The TV show encourages us to congratulate ourselves on the horror at the Nazis and our distance from them. But Dick's novel suggests disturbingly that the defeat of the Nazis did not, in fact, truly transform the world. Their evil was not banished. It's still here with us, a dystopian we can choose, one that many of us choose every day. I think we're going to – if this show gets picked up, which we're I gonna really We're going to see more that, of that. Yeah, yeah. we're going to see more of that. You can't judge – you can't compare a pilot – of a one-hour show that's designed to be a season uh, with an entire uh, story. Um, you know, and a story that kind of has a cliffhanger ending, the original Philip K. Dick story, but, you know, a complete story nonetheless. I think it's, it's sort of a false comparison there. Um, I think they have to tease us with a little bit more stuff. And as we see with a lot of science fiction, things aren't always the way they appear. And if you watch the pilot of Battlestar Galactica, it does seem like silence are all bad, right? All or nothing, good and good and evil. And there's a little elements of it in the pilot that there's an idea that um, you know this is humans, humans reckoning. We we have created this monster that's now coming back to enact its revenge. But the silence are still pretty much the bad guys. Yep. And what we see as that show unfolds is things get complicated. Um, things get messy. It's not all good or all bad. It's not black or white. And uh, I have faith here that we would get the same thing from uh, Man in the High Castle. Agreed. And I'm looking forward to it. I think the actors did a great job, um, a great setup, so cannot wait to see more. You know what I really I really liked seeing that Nazi, con, um, not Conrad, uh, the Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Concord. The Nazi Concord. 
mm-hmm. Nazi Concord. Um, and there was a scene where, um, you know, the Concord has been um, developed. It's a supersonic passenger plane. And uh, this Japanese official is landing in San Francisco, I believe. And he goes, you know, can't compete with German technology. And it's just it, that right there. That's such great world building. They didn't say, you know, oh, in. 1954, the Germans invented this and blah, blah, blah. Um, But it's just kind of putting it out there. And it's building up this world in a nice show, not tell way. And um, just a lot of really great details about that. Like how how the Japanese culture has been so infused in San Francisco. Like I could see that happening. San Francisco is already um, a city that is so... um, infused with uh with eastern culture and i could see it kind of taking that trajectory if the japanese did control uh the west coast um so so well done um it's also it's also attempting to show a difference between the japanese culture and the german culture and there is a lot of um derision from the German, when we see the Japanese and the Germans interacting with each other. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the Japanese, they're, you know, some of it's a little bit heavy handed, but um, one of the sort of, um, the, there, there is going to be a visit by a Japanese official. And so his advance team is basically saying, hey, you guys have to rearrange this room because this, this can't be arranged this way. And the Germans are, they agree, but they, in the background, are making fun of the Japanese for, even suggesting this, like there's definitely, it it is not a comfortable alliance, which is pretty clear, which is pretty clear. And it's sort of, you see that with the the culture clash there with the bowing versus the, the salute um, Mm -hmm. in that scene. And it it makes me think about uh, the, the cold war emerging out of the, the end of world war two that, you know, when, it's very easy for people to come together when there's a joint, what we call in psychology, a superordinate goal. So um, joining the the colonies of the United States and turning uh, to defeat the British Empire, that's, you know, we need to come together to work on this joint goal that we can't do otherwise. That's what we sort of saw happen in World War II. The United States and the rest of the um, the allies teamed up with uh, with the Soviet Union and Russia. But... After after the Axis was defeated, you know the Cold War sort of emerged as a result of that, and we kind of see what would happen here if the Japanese and Germans were victorious. Would they have gotten along perfectly? We're beginning to see some of the problems of that in this pilot, and that was really cool to see. Another thing it reminded me of Conrad, Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, definitely. It had that that feel <laughs> to it. A little 1984 too. Ah, uh, yeah, I love that. Well, the maps, um, the sort of... Uh, yeah, no, that definitely was very Indiana Jones. I loved it, which in itself is kind of a throwback to to older kind of pulpy kind of movies. Um, so it, it was weaving together a lot of interesting stuff here. And I mentioned Firefly before, but yep. um, uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. So hopefully, I, I'm assuming, based on the reaction, because it seems like we were not the only ones to like this, uh, that <laughs> that we will see a series out of this. So I cannot wait, and I think we should discuss that further when we see more. Sounds good. I'd love to revisit this. Uh, and, and with that, are you ready to enter into the Infinite Crossover Chamber? 
Let's blast off into a, the parallel, mind-bending, timey-wimey world of the Infinite Crossover Chamber. That was, so a good, that was a good long intro there. Well, you know, it's uh, weird. It is Valentine's Day, after all. <laughs> it is. We are recording on Valentine's Day. Uh, how that ties into anything in this episode, Conrad? It I doesn't know. at all. It doesn't. <laughs> I do um, not know. But what are we talking about in the crossover today? Well, we're talking about two shows that take place in post-World War II. Uh, we are talking The Man in the High Castle, which should be no surprise to anyone who's been listening to this podcast, um, and mashing it up against Agent Carter, Marvel's Agent Carter. Um, Conrad, what is the question in this week's crossover? The question is, uh, which series, or I guess since we only have one pilot, <laughs> which show gives a be- is better at world building post-World War II? So we talked about Agent Carter a few weeks ago when we were uh, discussing the pilot um, Pilot? First two episodes? I think pilot. Yeah. Um, and it, we were kind of struck by the world building in that show mm-hmm. as well. And the quality of it and how um, how kind of realistic it was in, in many different ways. There was the visual element, but what you and I were also struck by is how it was also being true to the the cultural elements of, of the challenges um, for many women who had been taking the lead um, in many different industries here in the United States and now having a whole workforce of men returning from the war and the challenges, the gender challenges that emerged out of that. And, you know, we had concerns um, about this being the one thing that the show was emphasizing. And, you know, there's many episodes that have come out since and some have kind of supported that and it's gone in some other different directions. But um, I, I think this is a very difficult crossover because I think when it comes to world building, both of these shows are, have done a pretty great job at it. I think with both of these shows, the the creators of these shows took a lot of care in world building, and especially in terms of uh, the Man in the High Castle, they're also world building in a universe that does not exist, or or you know, it, it's supposed to be a what if universe. And I think that both did an incredible job at setting this up. Um, I have to say my, my initial reaction, even before getting to the conversation with you, is that I think it may be a tie. Um, but in different ways. I mean, we, you know, Agent Carter, it, obviously it's, it's based on a, a, a different type of a universe, and it does have a little bit of that, um, that graphic novel feel. Um, and whereas I think Man in the High Castle is a little grittier, a little bit dirtier, it's not quite as stylized. Um, but that said, I think they're both very successful in how they were produced, um, in the attention to the set building, the costuming, just everything. Um, and I have to say, again, I'm so thrilled at the newer shows coming out right now. I feel like we have just sort of a riches and things to choose from um, in, terms I mean- of, in terms of sci-fi and in terms of just... The, the quality of shows that are, are sort of coming out and sometimes in miniseries and as in this in this case, it, a pilot, 
um, it's pretty amazing to me that we're, we're able to see this this quickly on. I mean, to me, it's like movie-level production in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, one of the questions you and I often get is, Hey, Conrad Ali, how do you guys find things to talk about? A new episode every week on a different topic? How do you do that? <laughs> and here's the thing is, it, uh, there have been very few times, very few times um, over the last year when you and I we're having a hard time figuring out what to talk about. True. Um, There are such great uh, stories coming out in the world of TV, film, um, uh, comics, uh, video games, all this sort of stuff. It's it's just such a nice time to be a geek. The quality, uh, I, I think the quality of television is so high across the board. But then, especially in genre um, TV, it's uh, we have we have some great things coming out right now. So I, I agree with you there. And I think one of the things you mentioned is. Uh, the man in the high castle might have a harder time because it's uh, or, or might be a, a greater challenge and a greater achievement because it's a completely made up universe. And we see that a little bit with Agent Carter. I, I think mm-hmm. you're right. It is harder. Um, and in some ways it could be liberating because you're kind of completely opened up. But Agent Carter, Carter is the Marvel Cinematic universe alternate universe right where you know hydra has been uh, playing a major role in world war ii where these superheroes uh do exist where captain america kind of looms high in in society um where tony stark well i should say um is it henry stark um Who's who's Tony Stark's father? I'm blanking on this guy's name right now, but Stark Senior. Yes, <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, where he's kind of had a major sort of um, aerospace type of presence in the American military. So it is this familiar yet different universe uh, which Marvel has created. And if we look at Agent Carter, but then Marvel more broadly speaking, it's quite an achievement that they've created this very large and vast universe. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, honestly, just when you were talking about um, the the question about whether we would, whether, whether we had any issue with coming up with anything. I think generally it's, we, it's very rare that we can't come up with anything or have a trouble. Generally it's more that um, we are trying to sort of rule out things because there's so much that yeah. we want to see. So it's <laughs> yeah. more, it's more deciding, Oh, what don't we talk about? Um, Absolutely. Howard Stark, Howard Stark. Howard Stark, thank you, Conrad. Thank you. Sorry. So what would I do without you? I am so lost. <laughs> um, so no, lost but but in any case, I just think it is a great time. Um, there is so much variety out there, and in some ways, I think that that competition, because there is so much out there, these different networks, uh, the streaming now, the streaming services uh, as well as cable cable networks. They are now in competition with each other. So I think that the competition is very good for the viewer because it means that they have to come up with something even better to keep that audience that they want. Absolutely. I mean, look how spoiled we are. We've got Walking Dead is back. Um, 12 Monkeys is doing really well. We've got uh, we've got this now on Amazon Prime. We've got a whole series of Marvel um, of Marvel uh, shows coming out on Netflix. Uh, this is, I mean, 
Conrad, again, if we could go back to our ch- our childhood versions of ourselves and tell us, you know, just wait a few decades and like mm-hmm. all this stuff you're reading about is going to be everywhere. It'd be so hard to believe. Um, I, so he, here's I, I've got a winner in my mind, but it's it's just by inches. You know, this is one of those uh, what's it called? Like picture ending mm-hmm. again. Photo. I'm not. A photo finish. A photo finish. That's right. I'm, I'm not a big sports person, but I, I know they sometimes used to take photos at the finish line to figure out. This is one of those photo finishes for me. Um, I'm going with Man in the High Castle. Here's hmm. why. Um, uh, little tiny touches that are show, not tell. Uh, like the propaganda, faded propaganda World War II posters on the side of this building, of this like cafe or diner. Um, and just what that looked like. And of course that hospital scene and lots of other stuff like that. I think this show did a little bit better job showing, not telling versus Agent Carter. And one of the things that we've seen with Agent Carter, maybe it's because it's on network TV, but there's a little bit more explaining of stuff, a little bit more exposition. Um, they do some things well, like in the pilot, there was that um, that individual who had uh, who could only speak with that um, that speaker on his throat. Um, I think that was a nice show, not tell. But then it was kind of emphasized a lot. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it's it's like it's the difference between things just being there and then things being the explicit focused, and that's what I really like about world building. Again, going to one of my favorite examples of world building, which is um, the Harry Potter films and books, um, when you have the portraits and these these kind of talking portraits, it's never really explained, but they're just there. And in the first film, and in, in the first book, you, Harry notices it a little bit more. But it is kind of like passing through the scene and this, these things are there. They just kind of happen. And I think The Man in the High Castle does that better. All right. I, I hear you on that. I'm, a little, I'm still a little bit of a tie, but I would say Man in the High Castle, in my mind, as you said, because I, I agree with you. I don't think that it's as heavy-handed in sort of over-explaining. I think that they definitely leave enough of a mystery there, and there's a nuance to how they're presenting this extraordinarily complex story. And I think they managed to do it in an hour, and I still feel after watching... uh, I've continued to watch Agent Carter. I still feel like they're treating the audience like they're kind of dumb. (laughs) So... (laughs) um, And there's still, like, there to me, some of the themes that they're trying to present, they hit you over the head with it, it repeatedly to the point where it's not as much fun to watch. So I think... but presentation-wise, I feel like they both do an amazing job at world building, with a slight advantage to to the man in the high castle. So, yeah, so I would, I would yeah, I'd say we're we're probably about on the same page as as far as that's concerned. Um, but are you ready to leave the crossover chamber and talk about our top fives today? Yeah, I've got inertial dampeners set to full. Shields are up, ready to blast out of here, Conrad. Excellent. Let's go. Let's close up those doors. And on to our top five. Conrad, what is on our top five this week? Uh, Our top five is top five um, streaming, made for streaming programming. So basically made for Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, 
content that is made for these services as opposed to put out onto network um, or cable television. Um, so these programs were um, created specifically for people to watch or consume them on uh, watching them via streaming services. And it's interesting how many there actually are out there. There's a lot, and there's a lot more coming this mm-hmm. year. Um, I read a really interesting interview with the uh, Netflix CEO who said, um, I, quote, I think we can probably launch successfully high-quality around 20 original script sh- uh, scripted shows a year, which means every two to five weeks um, you're launching a new season or a new show on Netflix. Hmm. Um, they're launching a lot, and they have a lot of deals with, uh, with some pretty big names. They're going to be doing some exclusive content with Adam Sandler. Um, and this is kind of what we were talking about up top, mm-hmm. where uh, they they looked and found that their audience really likes Adam Sandler films. So they're like, all right, here's a bunch of money, Adam Sandler, make some more stuff for us. So there's a lot out there, and we're going to get even more content in 2015. No, absolutely. Um, and so I'm actually very, very curious to see what you have here. I have, so, I have like sort of a mix um, and some of the, the things that I chose are basically um, things that I chose because I view them as sort of starting it all. Oh, okay. We might we might have a lot of uh, mind melts on this one. I okay. think there's some obvious picks. And while I try to squeeze in a few things that are maybe lesser known – um, I had a really hard time doing that because I haven't necessarily seen those lesser known things. So I think we're going to have some, some, uh, some picks. I've got one pick that's kind of out there, Conrad. So you might be calling shenanigans on me on that, but that's okay. You've been calling shenanigans on me all episode long. So it's all, it's all good. That's okay. That's all. It's all as we're going into it, you know, with, with open eyes. Um, but my, uh, my number five that I picked, uh, was Dr. Horrible. So this was a questionable one for me. Mm. I think uh, I love Dr. Horrible. Does it count as a made-for-streaming kind of thing? I think so. Because, um, so the reason why I chose this was this was a show, a series, and granted it is a miniseries. It's not a long-running series. But it was never intended to be released on network or cable television. Um, it was a personal project that they put together and decided to do. And they released it on iTunes. And it just took off. And That was Joss Whedon's project. Yep, with his brother. With Neil, Pat- Neil Patrick Harris starring. Uh, Felicia Day. Felicia uh, Day. Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Um, I, you know what, I, I thought about this because I was... I, you know, part of me was like, yeah, does it belong there? And then I was like, no, it really does. Because I feel like this was one of the sort of phenomenon in terms of people sort of turning around and the people that were, were doing sort of television and production, whatever, being like, oh, there is a market for this. Um, and I feel like this opened the door or at least opened the possibilities for a lot of different ideas to, to come through. And it was so wildly successful. Uh, it was really successful. And Joss Whedon's been an individual who's been experimenting with different mediums. He mm-hmm. did a lot of work uh, tying in comics to Buffy and uh, Dr. Horrible. And he um, just recently released a film 
that was just released on demand. Um, so no, that's a good pick. Um, I also and it was. I mean, it was released. I mean, it was specifically for internet distribution. Yeah. They and I honestly think that they did this as a labor of love. Um, they they wrote it when there was like the the Writers Guild strike, um, and this was uh, two thousand seven or eight, and then this was released in two thousand eight. Um, and you know, it, it, it won, uh, the Streamy Awards the following year. It, it really just, um, was such an overwhelming response to it in a good way. And And I feel like it changed the discussion, honestly. And Conrad, the music is so good. I I love that. Um, I love that song with my freeze ray. I can stop the world so See, I good knew, I, I knew by mentioning this that we would get a little bit of a singing performance you can't you. you can't not do that it's freaking neil patrick harris singing some amazing evil guy stuff it's so good um, so good and then the other the other piece of this was also about the funding and who creates and who has a say and basically joss whedon funded this whole thing himself. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that clearly has had some fights with the studios. He's had some good relationships yeah. and some bad relationships, but he's also somebody that's talked about some of the the frustration with not having the freedom to have your own creative license. Well, and, he, he's such an interesting person here because you're right. He does. So he does Dr. Horrible sing-along blog and then does that all himself, and then mm-hmm. kind of goes on to do Avengers. I know, which does, is incredible. Which is incredible, um, does Avengers too, and now he's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore, you guys. I want to make my own original stuff, and he said I'm not doing any more Avengers after this. So, you know, as some people don't like him, some people like him, but he is a guy who's who is experimenting a lot with storytelling. So... You're, yeah, I, I can see why this has to be on the list. I'm, I'm with you. All right. So, so there you go. But I would love to hear what your number five is. My number five is kind of where we're headed with streaming uh, content. This is my out there pick. Um, it's something that hasn't been released yet. So there's that. But uh, my number five pick is Daredevil. Um, mm. The upcoming Marvel series coming out April tenth, two thousand fifteen. Wait, wait, wait! You're you're picking something you haven't seen yet. Yes, yes. Oh, Ali, that is not even that's not even just bending a little bit. See, I told you you'd call shenanigans. I am calling big, <laughs> big, giant shenanigans. But go for it. <laughs> so um, here's why I think this is so exciting and. This is why it's on my number five uh, pick. Number one, well, one of the reasons is I wanted to flag it for the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour listeners in case you aren't aware that this thing is happening. But um, for those who are not, um, Daredevil was a film starring Ben Affleck that came out a long time ago. And uh, people didn't really like it. And Daredevil hasn't really. It was the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Um, uh, So... It didn't really do too well. Um, the character has kind of been shelved for a long time. And now that Marvel is, uh, you know, known as the the house of ideas, uh, this ambitious studio that is just uh, just kicking butt all over the place with their cinematic universe, they are using Daredevil 
to launch a series of mini-series that are going to culminate in The Defenders, which is sort of going to be a small screen version of what we're seeing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's all going to be tied in together. Um, I've seen the previews for this, and it looks like a pretty interesting uh, depiction of Matt Murdock and this really interesting character that that you and I both kind of talked about in our uh, Diversity in Comics episode way back, I think like episode 10 or episode 9 of, of Nerd Hour. Um, so I'm I'm pretty excited about this, and I'm excited about what's going to be coming out after this, and I think it's a pretty bold move that Marvel has already greenlit like four series, um, starting with Daredevil and continuing on um, for Netflix, and just excited to see what... Uh, what Marvel content on the Netflix medium is going to look like. Highly serialized, more gritty, made to be binge-watched, and how that's all going to integrate with what we're seeing on the cinematic universe. I mean, this is so bold and exciting, and uh, I can't wait to see it. Cool. Well, now you can call shenanigans on my number four. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if you have seen it yet, but there is, it's, it was, or is a British television show called Misfits. I have not seen Misfits. Um, and it's on Hulu, um, but it's only on the web in the U.S. Huh. Um, now the premise behind this show. I'm I'm guessing it's probably on BBC. Yes. Um, but it's a group of teenagers and they basically get hit by a lightning storm and show certain types of powers. Um, and it's had, I think, five seasons or so. Um, and there's a bunch of people on this show that you're going to recognize, namely from uh, from Game of Thrones. So the guy, the guy that plays crazy uh, Ramsey Snow is on here. Huh. Um, the uh, the uh, Lady Catelyn, uh, like uh, the mother Stark, is she has a little bit of a cameo in there a few times. Um, Let's see who else. Uh, somebody else. Uh, Hermione Granger. No, wait. No, Hermione's not in there. That would be really awesome. No, the uh, what's her name? Emma Lisa. Watson. Is no, it's not. Name. It's not Emma Watson. But in any case, um, and then Lady Sybil from Downton Abbey is in there, and there's like a Lady bunch of Sybil others. Lady Sybil is in there. I'm a fan of Lady Sybil. But it's one of those things, you know, how like on the UK shows you see like a ton of faces. You see in the same there. people. They're like the same people <laughs> that kind of go around and around again. It's sort of Every like British actor. Is yeah, Harry pretty Potter. much. And However, it's got a nice little sci-fi twist. It's a little bit uh, being human, if you ever saw that. But oh, with yeah. like, yeah. but with teenagers, it's kind of fun. It's it's a little bit cheesy in that you know, in that way. But it's interesting because it it has gained this enormous following here in the U.S. So, um, and only through streaming here. So it has no network presence here at all. And. That's how they're releasing it here. So it's it's kind of, it's an interesting thing. So it's a shenanigan in that the content has not been made specifically streaming, but for purposes of in the U.S., it has. So well, it, it would almost be like if uh, Doctor Who was presented here and just streaming, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but anyway... So I, I think you should check it out, though, Ali. I think that's that, that sounds interesting and exciting. It's got a lot of people that I enjoy watching. Um, and... It ties into my number four as well a little bit, Conrad. My number four is a documentary called The Square. Uh, 
Hmm. Uh, did you ever see this? No. Wait, it sounds very familiar. Well, there were a lot of ads for it um, in New York City about a year ago um, all over the subway. So The Square is a documentary about the Egyptian revolution that happened uh, very recently. And what's how this ties into Misfits is this wasn't necessarily produced for Netflix. Um, an individual basically started filming the Egyptian revolution as it was happening, not necessarily using like the most you know high-end equipment, but just started following it and documenting it as it was unfolding in real time and started following a few different individuals in this story. And um, when it was all put together, uh, Netflix signed on to distribute it. And it ended up being nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary uh, last year, which was really interesting that Netflix here is getting nominated for both Oscars as well as Emmys, that this one... This one um, studio, well, now studio, this one distributor is producing both movies and, and television programming. So I think that's an interesting part of the story. I think another interesting part of the story, I mean, not only is it a really interesting, powerful documentary about how a modern revolution can unfold and the hope of it, as well as um, how technology sort of changes the story of it and how the revolution can um, be orchestrated and communicated with the outside world. But the other interesting thing here is um, how Netflix, Amazon, Hulu – because there isn't necessarily the same risk as a distributor of releasing content to different movie theaters and things like that, that you could just put up something there. And if people watch it, you know, it's not really costing you anything. It's not like it's costing you more bandwidth. Um, you, you can just put something out there and see if it's a hit, which I think allows places like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, to be more experimental than traditional media has been. Well, true. And look at what what happened with Snowpiercer, which I know is a little bit of a different example, but this is a film that did very well everywhere. (laughs) And and in the U.S., they decided just not to release it because they didn't like certain things about it. And they were like, well, okay, we'll just put this up so that people, if they want to, they can watch it. And it gained such a following and such momentum that it ended up having a release in some theaters, like a limited release in theaters in the U.S., which never would have happened a few years ago. No. Um, Just because the option wasn't there. Um, So, and I think we're going to see more and more of this. And I, I think you're right. I think that it opens up the field for more experimental filmmaking and ideas. And one of the other things I would really like to see, and I still feel like we need to see more of, is much more diversity in the productions, um, in the actors, in who is making these films. Um, uh, as you know, you and I have talked quite a bit about the fact that there is a real dearth of uh, diverse creators out there that get recognized and the question is you know is it because they're not out there or is it because they're not supported and I think I know the answer to that question (laughs) Um, but you know the fact that there are these different ways and outlets for people to put their work up there 
um, is it, it just, I think it evens the playing field a little bit more. It makes more room for projects um, for many different voices. And I really can't wait. It's making me very excited to see what the future is going to hold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, now that everything isn't under sort of the grasp of some very specific um, production companies and I, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about some of those companies because they do come out with some amazing things. I just think that it's just a much more interesting place to see all these different ideas and and productions out there in the world and that we get to be the ones who chooses, <laughs> who chooses what we're going to watch. So it, kinda it's cool. It's really uh, sort of a tradition the traditional types of media that we consume, whether it's serialized television-based programming or the more long-form theatrical films, it's those those traditional types of content now meeting the internet delivery uh, medium. And that's, that's ex- very exciting. Um, and it, it's very interesting to see this. And we talked about this on, again, that episode 10, I believe, of Nerd Hour, the diversity in comics episode. And my last week's episode of The Psych Show was all about diversity in media. And we're now beginning to see that promise pay off here. Um, there's been a big push in comics the past uh, few weeks. A Comics Forward campaign has been going on about getting more diverse voices out there. And, and I think this is what we're seeing with our top five. Is um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. So if you're interested in documentaries in what happened in Egypt with the the quote unquote Green Revolution there, um, and you know if you've been following what's been happening in other parts of the Euro- of Europe um, over the last few years, the Square is definitely a documentary to see. I'm, I'm go- going to check it out definitely because you know I feel like you have mentioned it a couple of times, so I definitely I need to check it out. Yeah, it's it's really it, it, the story of it, of how it was made, how it was uh, produced and delivered, and then also that the story it chronicles is 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 interesting, um, and one that has a lot of uh, ripples through uh, modern society. Now, um, number three, Conrad. Um, let me give you my number three. Okay. And I'm giving it with a caveat. Okay. Um, so my number three is transparent. Ah, uh, that's my number two. Oh, so I see. I knew there was going to be some kind of meld there. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I have a caveat too, but go. For, let me hear what yours is. Our caveats might be the same. So, transparent, as you mentioned up top, is a uh, one of those Amazon-produced pilots that mm-hmm. um, really um, took off, and it's basically the story that follows um, uh, a trans uh, individual who reveals themselves as being um, uh, transgender. And uh, starring Jeffrey Tambor, who we many of us remember from lots of different stuff. But, so many different things. So many different things. But uh, Arrested Development is kind of where. Uh, I think there's what most people right now remember him from. Yeah. What are What are some of the things that come up for you for Jeffrey Tambor? He's, you know what? He's one of those um, actors that you know um, the Larry Sanders show he was on. I don't know if you ever watched that, but Episodes he was here and there. Yeah. Yeah, so he was really a fantastic. He was like the sidekick, sort of the Ed McMahon type character of Larry Sanders on that show. Um, he's been, I mean, just in terms of like films and things like that, um, he's been just in a ton of things as a character actor. Um, and he really is, he's sort of one of those faces you see in just about everything. 
Um, and in your always, but Arrested Development, I feel is the show that really gave him the recognition that he so very, he, he, he definitely deserved it. So he is, he is such a great actor. Um, but back to Transparent. Um, yeah. So, so Transparent is being, um, you know, it won, it just cleaned up at the right. um, the Golden Globes just a few weeks ago. Um, got a lot of great recognition. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor won uh, one of the major acting awards. And it's getting a lot of critical praise. And I think all of that is fantastic. And it's really one of the first stories to feature a, um, a transgender individual and, and sort of what how that plays out in families. Uh, it's, crit- also, it's also created and written by Jill Soloway. Mm-hmm. So, which is, you know, she's somebody that, uh, was one of the writers, um, and, uh, and also, I think she also produced, uh, some of Six Feet Under. Um, so she's mm-hmm. been involved in a lot of different things. Um, also so, involved in the United States of Terra. Right. So, I mean, it just, just the fact that you've got that going on, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, no. I, I think she, um. I think her father uh, is transgender, if I am correct here. And I think that's where some of the inspiration of the story comes Mm from. Um, The criticism that's come up about Transparent has come from the transgender community. And many individuals have said that this – it's um, it's a cisgenders individual's perspective on transgenderism. And so for s- people who might not be familiar with that term, cisgender is uh, basically referring to individuals who um, do feel like the gender that they were assigned at birth matches the gender identity that they have. And, um, you know, it's hard for me to un- – I am not transgender and uh, I don't – it's hard for me to understand that concern. Uh, in ter- uh, hold on, I'm not phrasing this well, Conrad. It's um, I, I can't understand what that experience is like. But listening to some of the criticism coming up from people who do identify as transgender, I'm just trying to take that into account in this recommendation. And I think my number one pick will kind of clarify this a little bit more. But just want to put that out there that this that- – well- this is the thing, like, I think, and I think it's great that they're putting the issue out there, that there is, you know, a main character of a show and that the, the idea surrounding the, the show is about transgender issues and gender identity and things like that. But to me, I think you're right. Like, I think, you know, would you want to, I mean, they did hire a lot of people um, they, a lot of trans um, actors and cast and the crew and as extras, extras they also hired some consultants but without having a, you know a transgendered person sort of in the creative seat or at least part of the creative seat it, you know I feel like you know wouldn't that be nice <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. like, like if this is if, if you're you're basically you're doing a groundbreaking show about this specific issue. The the people that are most affected by this and that are being portrayed by this. And it, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things that a lot of the times comes up. Um, there are, there are just an enormous number of, of transgender and LGBT um, people that are present in the creative community. And a lot of the times you'll see um, certain certain parts that are supposed to be portraying, you know, a gay man or, or a lesbian 
woman or whatever being played by a hetero actor. And I'm not saying that that's, that's wrong. It just seems a little strange to me that, you know, when, you know, th- that these opportunities aren't given to the people that they're, that are being portrayed. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> so um, that some of that diverse voice isn't being shown because part of it's also making a place. Um, it's not just portraying those things and ideas. It's also allowing those individuals to have a voice and actually be the ones in, in the driver's seat. So, so yeah, to speak, absolutely. I don't know if I phrased that very well, but you no, know, I think you did. And uh, to again, me, it's, it's a little bit of lip service and I'm not, you know, I think Jeffrey Tambor is fantastic. Um, but you know, when, you know, wouldn't it be great to see somebody <laughs> that was like a transgender actor in that lead role? This is what, um, well, again, we keep coming back to that episode, uh, episode 10 of Nerd Hour, where we talk about how um, we need uh, individuals um, who are in the production seats, who are writing and creating the content, who have had a wide variety of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way in which uh, uh, we can really understand and uh, get stories that, that relate to a wide variety of human beings. There's many different ways in which how to be human. And if we only have the same type of uh, experiences shown over and over again, that doesn't really reflect the diversity that exists in, in humanity. Um, so there's that. There's, we need people in production who have a wide variety of experiences. And then we need characters that represent that wide variety of experiences. Mm-hmm. And this makes me think of um, a new show on ABC called Fresh Off the Boat, which is, you know, usually been a derogatory term for individuals from the Asian American community. Um, it's, it's a term that refers to people who have very recently immigrated. And when I first saw that, I was like, fresh off the boat, what the heck? How are they, ABC's making this show? But if, if, you, if you do a little digging here, it's a name of the biography by Eddie Hong, who is an individual who's been involved in a lot of different stuff. And he is the main producer here who has written um, the pilot and these shows. And it's, it's autobiographical. It's a show basically about his life. And if you watch the first episode, there's some of it that feels very networky. But there's also some of it that is, um, that is bringing to life a lot of these issues of what it means to um, – to have a, a family that has immigrated to the United States and to be raised in an environment where you are identifying both with your family's culture of origin as well as the culture in which you're living now. Um, so that's a show that's really driven by someone who has had that life experience and you see it pay off. And I think some of that you see in Transparent, some of that you don't. Um, but with that being said, I think it's a great show that definitely belongs on this list. No, it is. It is. And, you know, some of the the people and I shouldn't, you know, clearly there are are trans, uh, there are trans uh, women and men involved with the show. And in fact, some of the producers are um, Zachary Drucker um, and uh, Reese Ernst are both producers. And, you know, they've actually welcomed the debate just about some of the Cassie and some of the things that they've done. Um, And they and they have welcomed the discussion and it's an interesting I mean the fact that they're even talking about this and involved with this is just the fact that the dialogue is there is very heartening um but it's um 
you know, I, I think I think that just sort of generally, and we saw this. Um, did you ever see Dallas Buyers Club? Um, I have not seen it yet. So you know, this this came up. This issue came up as well um, because Jared Leto. Um, he is, um, I forget the name of his character, um, but he played a trans woman in that film. And I mean, there's, there's obviously a few, that's the one that comes to my mind. Um, but basically it's, there's, this is a section of the, the population that is not often represented. And so I think the, when you see people being upset about it, it's because, okay, so now we have a chance to represent um, this sort of experience and we're choosing other people other than who is experiencing it to represent it. So I get it. I get it. Um, I am super happy to see this on there. I'm happy to see to what lengths they've done um, to try to give a, a genuine voice um, in, in terms of this experience. Um, but again, I feel like we could go a little bit further and, and I'm glad to see that this is out there, but I look forward to seeing even more like this. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one thing that we should probably emphasize here is 15, 20 years ago, would I have ever imagined that there would be... No, absolutely not. No, this is one of the reasons why LGBT rights and equality have moved forward so much in society over the last couple of decades is because we have had such such an increase in representation of the LGBT. Um, LGB community, and now we're getting more of the LGBT community and 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 transgender individuals. We're beginning to see that more and more, and that is definitely something to celebrate, especially when we look at what's happening in society and the the the, the degree of discrimination that is occurring uh, among trans people. Um, this is an important show, and we're getting more characters that represent this aspect of humanity and that's something that is wonderful agreed so we had a semi mind meld there um my number three was something we don't need to talk too much about it but um it's a little bit because it was web only but then it was sort of on youtube and then i believe it's all on netflix now but i'm talking of course about the guild amazing pick yeah, I mean, I had to throw that out there because I also feel like that show was groundbreaking for many reasons. Um, it was funded by fans. Um, the first season, especially, I believe the first season was entirely funded by fans. And this really? is, of course, yeah, this is the web series um, with the wonderful Felicia Day. Yeah. Interesting that she's so involved in all these sort of groundbreaking projects, right? Um, but yeah, no, I believe it was almost entirely, uh, fan funded and, and this is prior to Kickstarter and prior well, right, to, right. Um, and so, and then of course it did get funding because it became so popular and, um, I think, did it have a total of six seasons? I think I so. I think something so. like that. But, um, in any case, it, it, it was about geeks <laughs> and, and it was about gaming and, um, I love the fact that it was out there and it had such a great sense of humor um, and they got a lot of great people to, to do cameos on the show. And I, I feel like this did a lot um, for, for web series. And so I had to throw it on the list. Um, the, Guild, the Guild is great. Um, Felicia Day, you are amazing. And she's done such a great job with this. Um, I think you and I mentioned this on a previous episode. The Guild is what... Um, um, the Big Bang Theory, I think, is is 
is trying to get at, but not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, no, that's what, you know what, you and I, well, we, we've had a little bit of the discussion and, and part of why I don't like Big Bang Theory is that I feel like, first of all, they're trying to be all things to all people and they're trying to put people, it's like a very stereotyping type of show, which I don't enjoy. And the other thing I really dislike about it is that it, it feels like laughing at as opposed to laughing with. Like, you know, I think that there are ways to poke fun. Like, I'll, like I'm absolutely willing to make fun of myself in many, many ways. But there's a difference when you feel like it's it's people making fun of you. And I feel like, unfortunately, the Big Bang Theory, to me, steps over that line quite a bit. Um, yeah, we talked so, about that um, in our episode 50. Yeah. yeah. Um, and- um, but, but I feel like the Guild does a fantastic job because it's, it is. It's, it's making fun of itself, but there's just also a lot of fun with it. And there's, there, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it's fun. It's not mean. So It's, it's validating. It, right, it right. validates as as well as making fun of this community. Um, no, I, I love the Guild. And what's cool about the Guild is it was released web only. And then I think it was released on Xbox. And then it was on Netflix. And so it's been on a lot of sort of new media venues. Um, so it's kind of made its course around. I don't know if it's actually aired on on any like traditional network or cable? I don't think it has. I don't think I don't, it has. I don't think it has, but I think it's been on like everything that's new, mm-hmm. YouTube and Netflix and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, so no, I, I, great pick Conrad. Um, my number three was transparent. So we're on to number two. Yeah. Uh, you, mine two was, was transparent. So what was your number two? Well, my number two is probably something that's on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing it might be your number one. Um, my number two is House of Cards. It is my number one. That's what I thought. I knew it. I knew this. Um, so let me let me let you go on House of Cards, and, I'll, and then I'll fill in. Okay, because you're well, the one who actually got me to watch it. Yeah. So House of Cards. Um, this was again in terms of series that just made basically. I don't want to say made people sit up and pay attention to to web based uh, series and things, but I feel like House of Cards in terms of a high-quality, excellently produced, and definitely star-studded cast, when this was first announced, I don't think people... People didn't really quite know how to receive it. So um, I remember... Because House of Cards is based on um, an older British television series that was aired, I think, in like the 70s or 80s. so when it was announced that Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright and a variety of other people were cast in this, people are like, what is Kevin Spacey doing? Um, and not only that, the whole series was going to be released at once on Netflix. Like they were not going to, to space this <laughs> out. It was all just going to be thrown out there. They had an insanely slick marketing campaign yeah. Leading up to the release of this. And, uh, and that we, was something we had never seen for a streaming yeah. show. Never. Right. Like it was everywhere. Um, the anticipation before this came out was just incredible. And the, the anticipation as well as the questioning and yeah. wondering if this is something that's going to work. Yeah. I think people were kind of like, in some ways they wanted to watch it just because they wanted to see it. But I think in some ways they wanted to watch it to see whether this would be a success or not. And it was a wild success. Um, and led to the second series um, being released in the same way. And, 
you know, Netflix really encouraging people, you need to binge watch this. This is House of Cards <laughs> weekend. Um, and sort of monitoring how much people actually were watching it and just about everybody binge watched and really changing the perception of how things could be consumed and how they could be, you know, like sort of how you lay the groundwork for a series like this. And it's definitely led to other series and the success of other series. Um, and now they're on to series three, correct? Uh, yeah, series three is coming out very soon, I believe, in March, end of March. Hmm. So, you know, that and it's it's just um it is based on um another show which had 3 seasons. So there's uh, this is probably if it's following the same pattern, this will probably be the last season. So, right. um this is the time to get on board uh if you have not seen House of Cards, watch season 1 and 2 and uh binge watch the last one with the rest of us when it comes out. Right, uh, but it was but but you know it's interesting because it's this is something you and I have talked about before as well. The format of this keeping it to just 3 seasons if that's what they are indeed going to do. That is a much closer to the British way of handling different seasons, like ending it after a couple of seasons or, or maybe at the most four seasons. Doctor Who is the, the exception, exception <laughs> um, to this, of course. But, but you know, when, Never I think ending. Of, when you think of like the BBC office versus the American office, um, just yeah, basically yeah. not running a series into the ground. And I have to say, I kind of enjoy, even though it's hard and I really love to have my like seasons of television shows, um, it's it's kind of nice to know that there's an ending and they end on top, so to speak. Conrad, that is so un-American of you. I it know. is the American way to take something you love and take it to its extreme excess to the point where it's become a grotesque version of the original. <laughs> That's what we do in America, Conrad. All right, all right, but <laughs> but anyway, that's. I want twenty so, seasons of House of Cards. <laughs> so that's why it is. It is my number one, just because I feel like it was definitely a. It was a game changer. Yeah, I love this show. Um, it. So you mentioned it to me a lot, and the other person who mentioned to me is friend of the show, Lowen Baumgarten, who said it's like. Ah, a- I'm not surprised because Lowen is the best. Just oh, Lowen is, Lowen is totally the best. And he, he said it's like an alternate reality evil version of West Wing. It totally is. It totally is. <laughs> so Nguyen and I were watching uh, some classic episodes of West Wing, really enjoying it, kind of enjoying the the intellectualism, the intellectual defeat of, uh, of, of everything. And then West Wing got to a point where we we're like, okay, we have to suspend our disbelief too much. Like this is not how this is not how Washington works. And then I got Lowen's text um, where he was like, "Oh, House of Cards! Oh my gosh!" So we watched that, and it was like the perfect cure to to that kind of West Wing hangover that I had. And um, it's is exactly what I needed. Um, it's such a it's so delicious. Kevin Spacey plays such a delicious anti-hero mm-hmm. and um you know things it it's complexed and nuanced um as the show kind of moves forward and I will say for for a little bit I was like wait there's like no character I like in this show there's like no redeeming person but there are and and it's kind of a it's a very tragic show where the people 
Yeah, I, I guess I should probably not say anything else. No, no, don't spoil um, it for people. But no, I'm I not would... going to spoil it. But it's it's definitely something to catch. It's it's definitely um, the anti West Wing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's why it was my number one. But let's go on to your number one. So my number one is actually something that I have discovered about a month ago and have been binge watching ever since with New Anne. My number one pick is Orange is a New Black. Oh, I haven't been able to get into it. I'll admit that. Now, um, let me tell you why I have gotten into it, and then you can tell me why you haven't gotten into it. So this is a show created by... You, you've gotten into it because you love Captain Janeway. Is that what it is? All right. So Kate Mulgrew <laughs> She is awesome. Red, she is awesome. Who many of you remember as Captain Kate, uh, Catherine Janeway of the USS, Enter- or not Enterprise, Voyager, from Star Trek Voyager. Um she is amazing, amazing in this role. But this is a series that's written and uh, produced and created by uh, Genji Kohan, who has done so much stuff, wrote for uh, Weeds, wrote for Gilmore Girls, uh, Sex in the City, Mad About You, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, has been involved in lots of different stuff. Um, but what I think is so interesting about Orange is the New Black is it's – so there's a lot uh, – so the, ba- the premise of this show um, is basically you follow one individual who is sent to prison. And it's in uh, – she's female and sent to an all-female prison. Um, so automatically there, we have a primarily female-driven cast. This is probably the largest female cast of any TV show of all time. Um, far more than Sex in the City, far more than pretty much anything else we've seen there. So the diversity of characters that are that we're seeing that also just happen to be female is tremendous. So uh, – and we see that in terms of – all aspects of diversity. Um, and, you know, we were talking about transgender characters before. Laverne Cox is one of the characters in this show who is a transgender female and plays a transgender female um, on the show as well. And you see a lot more about what it means to be transgender through this character and through this actress. And it's just um, just really, really cool to see that. But So diversity is one thing. Um, but that's not, that's not all of it. That's not the whole story of Orange is the New Black. The other thing that I think is so fascinating about Orange is the New Black and why I can't watch it, I can't binge watch it as much as I watch other stuff because at some points it gets heavy, is the social commentary and how it's bringing to light um, – what are some of the real issues of our prison system in the United States? And I think it's doing a little bit of what The Wire did in talking about crime and deconstructing it, all the different aspects of it. And I was never really able to finish The Wire, probably because when it was airing, I lived not too far away from Baltimore, and the reality of the show was kind of hitting hitting me pretty hard. Um but Orange is the New Black is doing some of that. And, you know, we we lock up a lot of people in prison in this country. And uh, those stories and what it's like to actually be in that system haven't really been told in this to- type of format before. Um, and then it does that with humor. 
um, which makes this show much more palpable for me than than The Wire. Well, um, so I I did watch all of The Wire. Um, I also, you know, I found that I could watch a little bit of it, then I would have to to sort of um, not just basically take a break and watch what I call my popcorn shows. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. To to because it is it's very heavy and it's it's very hopeless and. I think that that's part of why I haven't at this point been able to get into Orange is the New Black is because mm-hmm. I do find it extraordinarily depressing. And it, I know it does handle things with humor. I think that the cast is fantastic. And I'm not um, in any way. I think it, I think it is a fantastic show. It's more just I feel like as honestly as I get older, I feel like I have an enormous amount of sensitivity to watching some of these things. Mm-hmm. And this coming from the person that's able to watch like a ton of zombie shows and anything sort of that's like out there crazy action yeah, but violence there's, shows. There's suspense but, of disbelief. There. Yeah, yeah. So but I find with some of these shows when I think about um our prison system and just you know, I've had a lot of discussions with friends just about like exactly what is it supposed to be accomplishing because I don't really know like of any anyone who has come out of that situation and been, you know, a better person. Like I, I think the original intention of prisons was supposed to basically help people, you know, figure out what was going wrong. And, you know, if you see, um, have you ever seen the, the, um, sort of experiment in, um, Sweden with their prison system? No, but they do a lot of really interesting social, uh, experiments. So, so what, um, what is so this it, it's basically, um, and it, it like, you know, people, people can, um, um, sorry, I think it's Norway, not Sweden. Um, but, um, it it basically um, it it's sort of like a um, uh, no it might be Sweden I'll have to look it up and I'll find the link and I'll put it in our show notes or send it to you um, but it, it's basically a a community where the inmates have to go and um, and you know they they are part of a community and. They are supposed to, like, um, interact with each other and, like, farm and do different things together and basically learn how to how to work with each other and to interact with different people. And there is a lot of different counseling and therapy that's involved with this. Um, and there are certain prisoners that are not um, eligible to do this. Um, and you go there and, and you're supposed to be part of the community in making the community a better place. And, of course, because of the level that this is at, um, you know, this, this costs a lot more. Um, and there, so, you know, there was, um, just a whole article about this, um, where, um, you know, some, some of the, some of the prisoners are basically like, this is, this is hard work. I want to go back to the regular prison where you just kind of like sit in a cell yeah, <laughs> because it's actually because it's actually you know, um, kind of a um, yeah, it's it's like a work, um, and it's uh, you know, they they find that people are actually able to go back into um, go back into their communities and and be like reintegrated as opposed to here where you see the recidivism rate is huge. It's massive. Um, in America. It's massive. And you see the abuse within the prison system is horrible. And so I just, 
I guess some these are the my own issues that make it hard for me to watch that show. Um, and it's also, you know, it, it made it hard for me to watch The Wire, too, although I did finish that. Because um, I just found it just so, you know, as, and, and more very specifically with the kids that were on The Wire, I found that to be very hard to stomach. Yeah. Um, because it was very realistic. And you kind of, um, I think that the thing that The Wire, the 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 thing that it did very well was just showing the way it portrayed the different stories is showing how intertwined everything is. There is, you hear a lot of people say, well, if only you did this, like you can't just throw money at a problem or no, you it's just multiple can't. Systems there are so that, many yeah. different systems and levels and layers involved. Like there is no quick fix to anything. And absolutely, you know, I feel like as a society, we have to figure out what's the right way to do well, things. And what, what I like about orange is the new black, uh, related to that Conrad is, um, in some ways similar to Lost, you, you're introduced to these cast of characters, and over the course of the, the multiple seasons, you learn their backstories, and you see how their life is like here in prison, and then um, then you'll understand what happened that contributed to them getting to this place. And in some cases, there are these characters who you know, are quite lovable and empathetic. And, and then you realize that there's some horrific past or horrific things that they're involved in. And then there's some other characters where due to a certain set of circumstances that they were either born into or uh, fell into that they ended up in prison. And it does deconstruct some of those biases and some of those thoughts that we have about our prison system. Um, the one thing I will say about this and, I don't I, – I, I kind of am okay with this, but um, the <laughs> I usually have the reverse criticism. But mm-hmm. I think the, the male characters in this show are so pathetic and so underdeveloped and are a bit more one-dimensional. And there, there's not too many of them. There's probably one, two, three, four, four or five main, main characters – and they're they're all losers <laughs> in some way, um, and usually we have quite the opposite, where the female characters are underdeveloped, and and that's why I'm kind of okay with this. Um, but I would like to see. Um, I I think we can see a little bit more complexity with some of these male characters, but that might be, might not be the purpose here. This might be more intentional. So um, I understand where you're coming from, and those are the reasons why I couldn't finish The Wire. And um, I think uh, I think everyone should at least see the pilot because what the main criticism that this addresses just watching the pilot is you you can't have an interesting or entertaining female driven uh, TV show. And if you just watch the pilot, that will break all of those stereotypes. These characters are so fascinating, so interesting. And I love you, Kate Mulgrew. You are <laughs> she is amazing. amazing. She is so, so different from Captain Jadeway. Oh, no, oh she's man. a fan. I love her. She's fantastic. Um, Conrad, you have any uh, honorable mentions for us um, today? I didn't. I knew we were going to have a long discussion. Uh, there was one fun little show on Hulu called Deadbeat. It can be a little bit cheesy, but that is, you know, that's kind of fun. Um, and that was, I kind of left it at that. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there will be more as we 
as we continue on. Did you have uh, any? Yeah, I've got some uh, quick ones. Um, two obvious ones. Um, Arrested Development Season 4. I honestly didn't really like it too much, but I put it on here because it was it was a quite a big deal. Um, Star Wars Clone Wars Season 6. Oh, they, that's true. That's true. They released some of the final episodes on Netflix, which is, uh, again, this wasn't a purely made-for-Netflix thing, but it was an interesting way in which episodes were released. And then one more Amazon pilot that is out right now and you can watch for free, Salem Rogers, model of the year 1998. Uh, The reason I put this here is it's starring Rachel Dratch. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah, who I love. That's kind of cool. I love, love, love That's Rachel Dratch. Cool. Um, Nguyen and I sometimes just kind of hang out and watch old Rachel Dratch uh, mm-hmm. SNL skits just because she's, she's, she's awesome. just so funny. Just, just like the facial expressions she creates just crack me up. So she's uh, in this Amazon uh, pilot. So please check that out cool. and support her. Uh, do, have, you, awesome. have you seen Marco Polo at all? I know that that is a I have not seen it, which is why I didn't put it anywhere. I, I haven't seen it, but it's one of those things that kept coming up um, a Netflix original. Yeah, well, maybe we should give it a shot, but I have no, like, there's no, I've seen the trailers for it, and there's nothing about it that I'm like, yeah, I need to watch. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, same here, same here. So, it's kind of a purity piece, and I don't know, maybe it's good, but listeners, let us know, is Marco Polo something we should watch? Yes. What did you think of The Man in High Castle? How does it compare against Agent Carter? And what are some of your favorite streaming shows? You can let us know uh, by tweeting at us at nerd hour if you tweet at us we will respond in kind with more tweets um you can email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com and also we have a website the shortcut to it is nerdhour.com um we would love to hear from you and uh uh talk about stuff conrad um where can people find you next week or this week yeah this week uh hopefully this week uh we're reanimated we're we're reviewing some earlier walking dead uh seasons right now um and that is reanimatedpodcast.com and on twitter we're reanimated pcast and you can find me on twitter i'm at die prince and that's about it um but where can people find you mr alimatsu uh i am available on the internet as well you can find me internet internet only released (laughs) web series yes oh my gosh ali i should have picked yours oh my gosh no No, that would have been too i missed an opportunity i'm so sorry i i totally i'm gonna i'm gonna re i'm gonna rejigger my list number one Go ahead, go ahead. I didn't even think that I would qualify. That's interesting. Yeah, I have a internet only made for streaming show. (laughs) You do. do. uh, The Psych Show. Um, which if you go to uh, if if you go to the psych that'll get you there but it's a uh, YouTube channel every week um, I make psychology fun and easy to understand um, just posted this week's episode which is on Valentine's Day how you can use psychology to increase romance uh, on your next date so check that out um, that's the psych show I'm also at brainknowsbetter.com where I talk about the science of uh, or the psychology of science fiction and uh, all the to on Twitter, which I mentioned before. So, um, Conrad, we've got a great. I'm really excited for our next next episode. Yes. Where, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about the film uh, The Kingsman, which oh, is. Man, so I don't know. I think it could go either way. I'm excited to see it, but I I will. I can't wait to discuss it with you either way. 
so quite a distinguished gentleman is starring in that film. Um, yes, and by quite a distinguished gentleman, you mean uh, Michael Caine, right? Well, there's another <laughs> distinguished gentleman. No, I know, I know. Uh, of course, we're talking about the wonderful Colin Firth. Uh, Colin Firth, Michael Caine, doing some British superhero stuff. Um, yeah. Is it superhero or spy, right? It's spy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but with those two doing some British goodness spy stuff, I mean, even if it's bad, it's going to be good. So. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be fun. So I can't wait to watch this and discuss it with you next time. Until next time, Conrad. Live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.